minutes, 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds, guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour. as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is Grant Cameron, and I want to do a little session today on a good friend of mine from the past. Um, There's a lot of discussion now about um, testimony in front of Congress that we get to the data that involves the crash saucers and the bodies, and this is what most people are interested in. So I found, I was scanning my files for the internet and I hopefully will put a link to those files in the in the description to this uh, video. Uh, but I came across a letter from an old friend of mine, Len Stringfield, who's now has been dead for a number of years. Len Stringfield was the guy who started the whole cross saucer thing. He's the guy that basically became famous for the whole thing. So I wanted to do a, a little segment because I found an interesting letter from 1988 that he wrote me which uh, I want to read, and it sort of ties into the disclosure efforts that may be going on right now. But first of all, let me give an, uh, sort of an outline for people who really don't know, because a lot of people really don't know who Len Stringfield uh, was. A lot of people just came into the field now. Len Stringfield was a pioneering figure in the field of UFOs, known for his relentless dedication to unraveling the mysteries surrounding unidentified flying objects. He was born in 1920 in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he had a long-time fascination with unexplained phenomena in the skies, which ultimately led him to one of the most respected and influential UFO, become one of the most respected and UFO researchers of his time. Uh, it started, his, his interest started when he was a member of the United States Army Air Force in World War II. He was stationed in India. And he encountered reports from military personnel about strange aerial phenomena that were defying conventional information. These early encounters uh, planned the, planted the seeds for his future career in UFOs. After the war, he returned to civilian life, but still kept on with the UFO stuff. In the 1950s and 60s, this is the important part, as the UFO phenomena gained popularity and media attention, Stringfield began collecting and cataloging UFO reports from various sources. He had a keen ability to sort through anecdotal accounts and separate them from more credible sightings. Stringfield's dedication to weeding out hoaxes and misidentifications earned him the reputation for integrity within the UFO community. One of Stringfield's most significant contributions to the field of UFO research was his focus on investigating alleged 
UFO crashes and retrieval operations. At one point, I think he told me and others that he had between 200 and 300 sources that uh, were giving him material on either crashes or alien autopsies, uh, which made him the uh, all-time researcher on the subject and made it indicate that people inside the government were feeding him material. So these groundbreaking reports and incidents often involve the recovery of uh, purported extraterrestrial technology and bodies, and it shed lights on the possibility of government cover-up and secrecy surrounding UFOs. Uh, Stringfield's meticulous documentation of these cases, which he referred to as crash retrieval incidents, provided valuable insight into potential interference and interactions between humans and unidentified beings from other worlds. He gave his first lecture at Dayton, Ohio in 1978. I was there. I was there to talk to him about uh, the former Canadian director of the Flying Saucer Program, Wilbur Smith, uh, which very much interested Len Stringfield. When I got there, they announced that he had been actually moved to another hotel because there was a, a death threat against him. And I really didn't get to talk to him at that conference, but I did interact with him a number of times over the years. Um, significantly, 1978 was two years before the Roswell incident written by Bill Moore uh, uh, became published. And that was the first time that ever anybody had ever heard the name Roswell. So Len Stringfield was talking about craft saucer stuff and bodies two years before uh, the book about the 1947 crash at Roswell, New Mexico. He was, Stringfield was also a prolific author. He published several books and numerous articles on UFOs and related topics. Uh, his main books would have been Situation Red, The UFO Siege, and The UFO Crash Retrievals, The Inner Sanctum. And this uh, dealt with uh, a lot of the details of the uh, material he'd been given on cross saucer recoveries and alien autopsies. Uh, he was a staunch advocate for UFO disclosure. He believed the truth about UFOs and potential extraterrestrial contact should be shared with the public. Uh, his advocacy efforts included speaking at conferences, conducting interviews, and collaborating with other poten uh, potential UFO researchers. His dedication to transparency and his insistence on the importance of government disclosure inspired many others to join the quest for answers. Um, now, he detailed a, a lot of um, crash saucer material, but this has always been a big part of the UFO. Uh, community. I want to read a, a sort of a letter that was published in 1950 from a guy by the name Ed Sullivan um, that was talking about um, uh, craft saucer uh, material. The statement made by Ed Sullivan reads as follows. He was a uh, Los Angeles-based civilian saucer investigator who wrote that such tales of crash retrievals and bodies are damned for the simple reason that after years of circulation, not one soul has come forward with a single concrete fact to support the assertions. We ask you to beware of the man who tells you that his friend knows the man with the pickle jar. There is good reason why he affects the, such an air of mystery, why he has been sworn to secrecy, because he can't produce the friend or the pickle jar. 
So this has been going on since 1950, these uh, constant stories about uh, crash retrievals and bodies. And um, still we, we are in a situation where nothing really has been resolved except for telling a number of stories. Now, the letter I wanted to read that I found in my files, and I probably will find other files down the road uh, from Len Stringfield uh, that I will read, it was written to me in 1988. And it's important because I have stated, I wrote uh, um, a book called UFOs, Area 51 and Government Informants, where I talked about the fact that this pleasant disclosure is nothing new. It's been done numerous times. It was done with Walt Disney, with my producer friend, Bob Emenager. It was done in 1988, 1988, which I'll talk about in a second. It was done with Tom DeLong, and now it's uh, started with the um, New York Times, and we have it in Congress. So whether it's government behind these disclosure efforts or whether it's people inside the government who just want this story out because of their own personal sightings or whatever whatever the, the reason is, there have been a number of initiatives uh, to get material out to the public over the years. In 1988 was one of them, and Len Stringfield actually writes about this. This is six, five months before the event takes place. Um, so Len writes me, Dear Grant, apologies for not answering more promptly yours concerning Ronald Reagan's remarks in space threats. So Ronald Reagan had uh, made the famous statement about how the world would unite if we were facing a threat from uh, alien an alien race. Uh, Len says to me, um, in your probes for more information about his innuendos, did you get any responses? And I actually did actually after that um, find that Reagan had made this comment on five different occasions to a number of different people in high schools, to Gorbachev, um, to the ambassador to the United States from the Soviet Union. And um, so I did get the, the material which backed up the fact that Reagan was very interested in this whole phenomenon. This ties into this letter I'm going to talk to you about. Um, I find his comments to be of great significance um, due, due to the recent events and rumors of some kind of disclosure by the world governments of the UFO problem, maybe soon. He writes, Dick Hall, Dick Hall was a major researcher with NICAP in Washington, D.C., Dick Hall told me last week that Chandray, and Chandray was uh, worked with Bill Moore, and Bill Moore was the guy who wrote the first Roswell book in 1980. So Jimmy Chandray was a producer there. And um, Len Stringfield says that Jimmy Chandray talked about a disclosure as soon as September at the MUFON conference in Lincoln, Nebraska, and said that his compatriot, Bill Moore, was in Washington, D.C., negotiating with someone about upcoming events, no details. Now, the significant part of this is that um, they're, they were talking here about a disclosure in um, September, and there was actually an event in October of 1988, and a lot of people look at that and say, oh, it was just a stupid documentary. Um, this is the documentary that was um, run by Gray Advertising out of New York. It was the producing uh, company. Gray Advertising was always seen as a, uh, a front uh, CIA front company. 
And uh, my friend Bob Emmeniger was involved, and Bob Emmeniger was a vice president of free advertising in Los Angeles. Didn't know about this this um, this idea, but he did have a CIA agent on his set when he was doing his UFO documentary, UFOs Past, Present, and Future in 1975. So in 1988, there was this new documentary. It was called uh, UFO Cover-Up Live. And Bob was very unimpressed with the thing. He said it was terrible. It was people there reading off cue cards. And that would make sense. If you were going to have a production that was going to be controlled by somebody behind the scenes, you would not just allow people to talk about whatever they wanted. You would want people to actually um, read off cue cards so you could control the script. I remember Bob Emmeniger told the story that um, he was telling the story about the Holman Air Force Base film that he his company had control of. This was a landing at Holman Air Force Base of entities that came out of the craft. It was filmed from four different directions. And it was rumored to be part of uh, a briefing that's given to some of the presidents of the United States. Now, uh, Bob was in this the um, the production of this thing and um, he was like to joke around. So at, at one point he was reading and he got tired of reading off the cue cards. And so he, um, they were doing a, 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 a test in the afternoon at a rehearsal and um, Bob played the joke where he said, uh, and the UFO landed and the door opened up and Sasquatch came out. And he said, some guy behind the camera started yelling, read the script, read the script, just don't make up stuff, just me, read the script. So he was very upset about this whole thing. Now, the key to it was that there's a lot of stuff that was shown in this documentary that has turned out to actually uh, be valid material. Uh, one of the ones was the idea of the crystal, the fact that they have a crystal, which I've talked about in a number of interviews, uh, experiencers talking about encountering this crystal and how it fits into mystical literature of a crystal that you can look in at a certain angle and you can see the, 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 the past, and, uh, the past um, events of the world. And the 88 documentary introduced um, the what was called the aviary. This was the uh, introduction of the uh, Richard Doty, who played the Falcon, and um, Robert Collins. And the idea behind the Falcon was that he was the guy who was behind this production. So when Springfield talks here about going, Bill Moore going to Washington, D.C. to negotiate for some sort of disclosure thing, this is just a month or so before, a couple of months before that documentary ran. Now the documentary was uh, broadcast live in, in the United States. It was broadcast live in uh, Washington, D.C. And um, it, to me, it was always an indication that they wanted this material out. So what they do is they wrap it around uh, disinformation. They put it around so that nobody knows what's true and what's not true. And the key to the thing was that he's Stringfield here is talking in this letter about uh, Ronald Reagan and his his interest in UFOs, and the documentary occurs only days before the 1988 election, when Reagan leaves office and and his vice president George Bush wins the election. So it's almost like Reagan was leaving a goodbye present to the American people in terms of disclosure, and this documentary. Uh, which appeared to involve the CIA, was run in uh, middle of October of 1988. Um, now, to read a little bit more of what Len Stringfield wrote here in the letter, um, 
about this disclosure uh, event. He said, concurrent with Moore's activity, I have been getting steady a steady flow of information from various reliable sources that something big, and he puts in capital letters, big, is going on behind the scenes. One source commented several months ago that the shit's about to hit the fan. Another source, high-ranking officer, told me that certain initiatives are underway, uh, which ties in with the information from the British in the intelligence community. Also of interest is recent information concerning inter interference with our satellites, causing many to explode. The Russians, I'm told, also have um, uh, similar interferences very recently. Also strengthening my position are a member are a number of more inside sources emerging to confirm parts of the crash retrieval research. Nothing in writing, of course, but good testimonial. And then he says, stay well and happy hunting. Sincerely, Len Stringfield. Uh, one of the more interesting um, things you can read, Len Stringfield wrote this book on retrievals, which you can now find on Amazon. One of the more interesting things I wrote about in my recent book, UFO Sky Pilots, is this idea that um, a lot of experiencers, and I have I list 36 people who've been on the craft who claim they flew the craft. Um, a lot of them will uh, indicate the fact that uh, when they went into the craft, the craft was much bigger on the inside than it was outside. And if you read the Len Stringfield material, and this goes back many, many years, Len Stringfield has been dead for a number of decades. Um, he talks about a 1973 incident of a craft that was being held uh, uh, two hours away from Norton Air Force Base in California that a photographer was flown in from uh, Hawaii to film the panel boards in the UFO craft. And he described the fact um, that this craft was about 30 feet across and it was being held up by a crane inside netting. And that when he went inside the craft, he said, this is the craft that was on the ground, recovered craft, that the craft was way bigger on the inside than it was outside. And that's significant because uh, that is not something that I, I, I didn't release till last year. Uh, and so we're talking decades and decades and decades before that Len Stringfield actually had one of these cases. And the craft being bigger on the inside than outside is significant because if you're going to make up a story about being on a craft, that's not something you're going to add to your story that the craft was, you know, 10 or 100 times bigger inside than it was outside, because that makes no sense whatsoever. So you get these people telling this very, very bizarre um, piece of the story about uh, what happens inside the craft. And Len Stringfield had it uh, many, many years ago. And the significance of the, the craft being bigger, even uh, Hal Putoff made a comment about this. He said, I would certainly like to try to figure out why the craft is bigger on the inside than outside. It indicates that they have some sort of technology that is way beyond anything we've got, and that we probably don't have this technology in our arsenal. And um, it goes along with other weird things that experiencers talk about inside the craft. In fact, they would describe the fact that the craft is artificial intelligence. It's alive, it's conscious, that when you put your hand on a panel, that the craft uh, interacts with you. You can actually, um, some people actually gave the name, a name to the craft that they were talking to, and that whatever you thought, that's what the craft did. Now, and again, if you're going to make up a story about being on a craft, 
You're not going to get dozens of witnesses all telling the same bizarre story about interacting with the craft and being able to move from one point in the universe to the other point instantaneously just by simply making a consciousness interface with the with the craft. And the final thing that sort of is very bizarre that a lot of people will talk talk about inside being inside the craft is as soon as they touch the panel board or even at other points, they would say that um, they could see in 360 degrees. And that makes no sense. If you're going to make up a story, that's not something you're going to want to tell. But if you are familiar with out-of-body experience literature, you'll see that people in out-of-body experiences also claim that you can see in 360 degrees, which makes no sense whatsoever. So thank you, Len Stringfield, for all the material and all the research that you did over the years. Uh, again, you can go back to Crash Retrievals by Len Stringfield. You can read uh, this material that was gathered back in the 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s and is what everybody's now trying to gather together uh, in Congress to validate the fact that we have had crash material uh, for many, many years. Doesn't necessarily mean it's extraterrestrial, it just means we've got some, some sort of in, uh, engagement with some sort of intelligence, as they said in the core story with Al Putoff, Jacques Vallée, and Kit Green in the mid-1980s, came up with what was called the core story. We, be, we are being interacted by something uh, we have crash material, and we aren't doing very well back engineering the crash material. That's basically what it comes down to. Yes, there is crash material. It does not mean it's extraterrestrial uh, necessarily. It just means that, yes, this is for real. And as Jim Semivan uh, stated when he was asked who's running the show, he said they are. So thanks for listening, and hopefully we'll catch you again soon. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.